You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. So, stay tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker coming right up, right now.
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is a rather special edition of The Jazz Show. And, of course, we're going to begin with our regular jazz feature, and that is going to be the music of Miles Davis. But a little later on on the show, after the jazz, immediately after the jazz feature, I have a couple of very special guests that are going to come on the program. They're going to talk about a brand-new project and uh, their musical collaboration in that project. And I'm talking about the wonderful vocalist, virtuoso ukulele player, Daphne Rubini, uh, who leads a band called Black Gardenia, and her collaboration with the wonderful trumpet ace, Mr. Chris Davis. And uh, we're going to have both of them on the uh, show after the jazz feature, which is coming up right away. So stay tuned, because uh, it's going to be very nice to have these two lovely people uh, on the show and we'll talk about the new project and the album uh, and also a very important appearance at uh, Vancouver's most prominent jazz club, that's Frankie's, down on Beatty Street. But first, on the agenda, is the music of Miles Davis. And, you know, it's interesting in the history of Miles Davis, um, Early in 1965, I was in San Francisco, and I was staying with my good friend John Handy, and we were, uh, of course, uh, there was lots happening uh, at that time in San Francisco, and Miles Davis and his quintet had come to town. So, uh, obviously, we were going to go down to the um, club called Basin Street West, which was just a few doors down from the legendary jazz workshop uh, in San Francisco. Miles was appearing with his second great quintet, and of course we all knew who was in the group, Herbie Hancock on piano, Ron Carter on bass, the incredible Tony Williams on drums, and um, of course Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, and, um, and of course Miles Davis. And so <laughs> the first uh, night we were going to go down, I don't know what happened. Um, people dropped over to the house. Uh, um, we were taking our time getting dressed. And uh, we got down to the club really late. Now, it was really interesting because as we got into the club, uh, the band was sitting, at, without Miles, was sitting at the table. Uh, at a table, and of course they all know John Handy. So by dint of all of that, um, we both sat down at the table, so all of a sudden I'm sitting in the middle of jazz royalty. And I've got Tony Williams on one side, Wayne Shorter on the other, Herbie Hancock on the other, and Ron Carter. And of course, no Miles, because Miles had gone home. Uh, very often he never played the last set with the band. So the band, of course, um, this didn't really please club owners, obviously, um, but the band was going to do another set on their own. So that was pretty interesting. So anyway, we sat around and chewed the fat for, uh, for uh, a while. It was a most interesting conversation. 
um, I remember lots from it, and, and uh, it was a wonderful experience for me. And uh, I really went to John. Uh, if I had walked in on my own, I, I wouldn't have really known anybody. But uh, after that, so it was a great experience. So um, I was told that they were, after this engagement, they were going to go down to Los Angeles and record. And of course, that album uh, they did after the engagement. Um, I should uh, tell you a little bit more about the story because the second night, the first night was without Miles, but I made sure to get down there early the second night. And of course, Miles played, and, it, and the band was just absolutely wonderful. But I'll tell you, the set without Miles was unbelievable too because they were playing music that uh, they normally wouldn't have played with Miles. So it was very interesting to hear that. Okay, so um, after their engagement at, at uh, San Francisco Club, they went down to Los Angeles and recorded an album called ESP, which of course was greeted uh, when it was issued on Columbia Records. It was greeted as one of the great albums and, and given all kinds of accolades, and the band, of course, was, was great. But 1965 was not a kind year to Miles Davis. He, um, he was ill, and he also got into a very serious car accident. And he ha it took a long time uh, for him to recover. So the band didn't work very much in 1965, and they didn't record after ESP after because uh, uh, that was done in January so 65 was kind of a blank year for miles he did record at the very end of the year at a place called the plug nickel and uh, that's all come out in a very deluxe uh, set but if you listen to that set you'll see that miles was not quite ready he hadn't been playing and it showed the band was great Miles was a little bit subpar, and Columbia Records only issued one album from that. It wasn't until years later that they issued a deluxe set. But, but 1966 was a big year. The band worked a lot all throughout. Miles had regained his health, and it wasn't until October that he took the band back into the Columbia studio and recorded the album we're going to listen to this evening, and it's considered one of Miles Davis's finest albums. The music pleased him, um, and the album came out on Columbia Records. It was called Miles Smiles. And you can, obviously, when you hear the quality of the music, you'll find out why he was smiling, because the band was absolutely smoking. It had come together in... Uh, in ways just from all that playing that they, they did. Miles' health was back and his, his uh, edgy playing was um, absolutely incredible on this album. Many of you have heard it and uh, many of you have not heard it for a long, long time. So we're going to play it uh, this evening in its entirety. So once again, this was recorded in October of 1966, the Miles Davis Quintet, second great quintet. Wayne Shorter, tenor saxophone, Herbie Hancock, piano, Ron Carter, bass, Tony Williams on drums. And the tunes. 
Wayne Shorter had begun to write a lot of tunes for this band, and of course his compositions are very evident uh, on this session. So we open with a Wayne Shorter composition, and it's a great start because the band hits such a groove here. The, the tune is called Orbits. The uh, second tune is the only Miles Davis composition on the album, and it's a ballad, and it's called Circle. Tune number three is arguably Wayne Shorter's most popular tune, and everybody plays this tune. The tune, Footprints, and this is one of the definitive versions of that tune. That's followed by another Wayne Shorter composition called Dolores. And then we move to a wonderful piece of music by Eddie Harris. And this is a, another definitive version of this tune, very different from Eddie Harris's version. This is Miles Davis's version of the Freedom Jazz Dance. And the final tune is by Miles' buddy and uh, f was once a frequent collaborator with Miles tenor saxophonist Jimmy Heath, who is a wonderful composer, and his tune, Gingerbread Boy, which he wrote for his son, is the final tune of the date. So we have six tunes from this wonderful recording session, Miles Smiles, that's our jazz feature this evening. So sit back and enjoy some of the greatest music as performed by this incredible quintet.
Yeah, yeah, solos would carry Yeah, and around. the same with Chris when he's playing. Yeah. I mean, I'd always be like, I love having Chris in the band because I get to hear him. <laughs> get to hear him playing. Yeah. And, or if it was Paul Pagat playing mm -hmm. guitar. There's a really diverse uh, members of the band that played in the residency with us. Stephen Cleaver from Ray Kondo and the Ricochets. Mm -hmm. And um, Patrick Metzger, he plays with Headwater. He's known for playing with the Headwater and Viper Central and also is a great jazz player. Brent Gubbles from Van Django playing bass on some of the tunes. Yeah, Brent's wonderful. He's yeah. a fantastic yeah, player. He's a beautiful player. Yeah. And, um, and so it really kind of, I think of it as kind of this album representing the edges of jazz. Mm -hmm. You know, so got some kind of almost like rockabilly sound but it's more like a kind of little flavor that comes through yeah. rather i mean i feel this is a jazz more of a jazz record yeah. than the other <coughs> the one beforehand and i felt i could really stretch out as a singer in this album right so we're not going to hear you on ukulele no <laughs> actually what was great about um i'm doing playing more ukulele with my other project with my husband Andrew Smith and yes. we're called Ruby and Smith and we're playing more folk jazz on this on that album that project in this project I found that the ukulele enabled me to songwrite so there's some original tunes on this record that I wrote on the ukulele so it was that vehicle for creative expression as a songwriter it gave me a kind of confidence or cheekiness, I would say, to put an original tune on a jazz <laughs> album. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, jazz police are gonna get me. But anyway, um, so I feel that ukulele is a big part of it, and actually Andrew is playing the ukulele on the album. When it came down to the songs we chose, the songs that floated up weren't ones that I would necessarily play the ukulele on, so I said, okay, well, I'm gonna listen to that. and allow the songs that I wrote to come out. So the ukulele is in there somewhere, but I'm not playing. But you're not playing it. Yeah, right, right. It's the influence yeah. is there, I would say. Of course, because mm -hmm. that's how the song started. Right? Yes, that exactly. actually, is, yeah. I think, is a part of um, part of the answer to your previous question, being what's different, <clears throat> because there is no ukulele, mm -hmm. and there is the second guitar. Mm -hmm. And once we added that kind of 
took the sound that way, mm -hmm. that is what kind of drove the new direction mm -hmm. of the, uh, we'll call it the Bayside <laughs> era. Right. Yeah. And uh, was the inception kind of of this whole, this whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, yeah. Yeah. So this album is a real meeting of minds between you, Daphne, and you, Chris. I mean, you're both, this is, you, this yeah. is your concept of music it's together, right? This is Daphne's baby, I yes. would say. And then by the end of it, I think I had like a leg of it. <laughs> or like okay. a, a torso or something. <laughs> but this is this is Daphne's baby. And I, I was yeah, brought, yeah. I was brought on uh, to co-produce. Right, right, so. because you're, you're, you're experienced in that. You're experienced with uh, uh, a recording technician and, and so on. I mean, you, you, you did yeah. stuff like that. You know about stuff like that and how, right. how to balance. And, yeah. I think you know, it's also, for concept. me, it was, the, it was that Chris has a real understanding of vintage jazz and love of it, mm. even mm. though you play lots of other genres of jazz and and mm. play your trumpet and there's something about that love mutual love of that particular genre of music mm -hmm. yeah. that um i think we've always had in common and and every band member i feel has really contributed but i when i when i was discussing it with andy who's also the co-band leader with me yes um that it would be great to have chris as the kind of helping to orchestrate this album and he he just just blew my mind mm -hmm. in terms of how he was able to kind of <laughs> i just remember at the when i was like angsting about the song list at the end we were just about it was just about and he sent me this amazing text saying you know um i know it's going to be hard to get this album out the door but let's not veer off into the bushes <laughs> right at the very end <laughs> okay. and I, because actually yeah. Actually, the album was recorded over two sessions, two three-day sessions uh, wow. that was very finely kind of orchestrated in terms of which band members were going to be playing, and then someone came in to put their sax on. So it was very organized over six days in August. Okay. And is actually finished now, and it went to press last Monday, so a week ago. And then it will be coming out October the sixth. So there's something being very um, dynamic about the deadlines that have made us really make decisions, kind of alive decisions, rather mm -hmm. than sit with an album for six months and change your yep. mind a hundred times. Well, so I think you feel that in the record. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interest. Interestingly enough, um, Duke Ellington was asked one time. I remember. Uh, they said, "Well, how, how do you? Uh, what gives you inspiration? What 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 makes you write all this incredible music that just seems to come out of nowhere?" And he said one word: deadlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you give yourself deadlines, very often that will be the motivator, right? Let's yeah. get this out. Let's do it now. The kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and you guys have done that. We should hear some music. Yeah. Um, now that we've. Chatted, Be delighted to share quite it. A, my guests uh, are Daphne Robini and Chris Davis. And, of course, Daphne is uh, going to be doing all the vocalizing, and Chris is going to be playing the trumpet. So we're going to start out with a couple of tunes from the album. The first one is the title track, Lucky Star. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that, I wrote that song. That's your um, tune? Yes, it's my tune. I wrote it in 2003. 
Uh, it took me a while to have the courage to record it, to be honest. Uh, but I wrote it when I first met Andy, who's my Oh, husband. okay. Mm-hmm. Your husband, right? So, yeah, so it was in the beginning days. So, Oh, yeah, so it was a lucky star. He's and you and stuff. you guys fell in love, right? Yeah. And, and 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 looked up and well, of course, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Is there a, is there a violin on this tune? I I can't remember. Is there? <laughs> there's, no, there's no, no violin. <laughs> no. <laughs> Enjoy it. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear uh, "Lucky Star," and we're going to follow that with uh, a tune called "Bye Bye Blues," yes. which is a great tune. It's an old standard, but a good one.
Have an affected voice, kind of. That's, that's kind of the term in the industry. It's an affected voice, kind of like an Amy Winehouse had an affected voice. But what people don't realize is that's the way she also talked. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way you talk, like sitting in this room, like that. That kind of smoothness, and even like the and, um, the diction and inflection on uh, some of your phrases. That's just the way you talk. So that's the way it comes out when you sing, and even mm-hmm. the tone is like that. So um, it is nice and different, and unique, but. It, uh, I think that's what is different about your, or it's kind of um, uh, distinguishing in your voice, uh, other other than the Billie Holiday yeah. quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's that's spot on, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, implying that yeah. uh, that Daphne was, or you were imitating mm-hmm. Billie oh, Holiday no, in any way. No, no, yeah. no, not at all. Just because sometimes, you know, we're musically influenced by mm. people mm. Uh, we're not even conscious of it yeah. it's just the way one hears mm-hmm. music and one wants to play music mm. uh, you know well, when i was a kid i snuck in to see lady sings the blues i like i loved diana ross i was like oh. worshipped her yeah. and then I, I think it was like 11 and a half or something and i went into this like you know, you're supposed to be older. I can't remember what the age limit was. Anyway, you weren't supposed to be 11 and a half and sneak off and go into this uh, film. No, no. So I go, go and watch this film, and I just was, like, blown away by her playing Billie Holiday. And then when I came out, I think I got... I went... I think uh, I had some birthday money or something, and I bought my first Billie Holiday. It wasn't my first album I ever bought, but um, that was Needles and Pins. But anyway, that's a whole other... Um, story but uh, and I think because I listened to her in the beginning in the very beginning when I was a kid I listened to this tape again and again and again and again mm-hmm. um, just listening to it I think it influenced me mm-hmm. you know influenced <clears throat> sure. me. and then all, all the other great mm-hmm. early jazz singers I mean for me that was my education like right. listening to great jazz singers of right. a certain era Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So specifically, the more early, uh, pre nineteen fifty. Pre nineteen fifty, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pre nineteen fifty. I mean, I have had uh, jazz education in London. I yeah. I went to. I've got a jazz foundation in vocals, and um, and I think I learned more about how to get your song charts, and you know, I, I learned mm-hmm. how to be professional in that way, and I had uh, my great teacher in London is Ian Shaw he's quite uh, he's very well known British jazz vocalist and he was my mentor and teacher and he was always very supportive about me going out and singing even though I was very shy I was very shy to sing in the beginning I'd almost like be so shy when I was singing whereas I think um playing the ukulele kind of helped me not be as shy and then now I kind of almost don't need it anymore sorry sorry my darling uke (laughs) (laughs) no but i mean it's something that was like a vehicle for me to the in this yeah 
How would you, um, before we play a couple of other tunes from this album, um, how would, if someone were, were to say, uh, what kind of album is this? What would you say? What kind, in other words, you know, somebody just coming at the album blind. It's a great question. And, yeah, and, and, and how, how would you describe it to, to somebody who is maybe not? I would say it's, it's, um, it's definitely a, a vocal jazz album, but it's, um, we are like used, I think, you, what was the phrase you used earlier about the edges of? Yeah, uh, exploring the outer ex- edges of jazz. Yes, I think that's a perfect ex- explanation and description because we do touch like even the last track you heard and the first track you heard um they're two different tracks obviously two different styles but there's more of that a lot more of that on the on the record Mm -hmm. and and what i think that we do what we did well was um we represented each kind of outer edge without and hadn't maintained a good song Without mm-hmm. kind of having to be cheesy or, or you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or trying to be something. Or so try, we, trying yeah. to be self-consciously retro. Right. No. Absolutely. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, that word never even came up. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, good. It doesn't come up in this band. It's just no. No. that's what it is. It's that's already what, that. That's how it sounds. <laughs> that's it. This yeah. is the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, gotcha. yeah. So I think that's, that's the, way, the way it sounds. That's the way to describe it. Is the way. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. And I would also say that. I like to say it explores the mysterious place where jazz and old country and folk and blues meet. There's something about it. There's a space where those edges can kind of be explored. And as you go through the songs, play uh, the listeners, some of the other songs, I think those aspects are explored with, I feel, authenticity. Mm-hmm. of like the love of the tunes rather than making an album that oh people will like here's this. what we're gonna this yeah. i mean it, this is yeah. more like this is these mm-hmm. are the tunes that we love right and that's it so this is yeah. coming from you it's yeah. not saying we're going to do an album like this no. right no yeah. gotcha and this and, and there's there's uh, no uh there, there wasn't um like charts and direction we kind of played these tunes and Got in the studio, and if we want to change something, we would we would, ch- we would change it and, mm-hmm. and do it, and mm-hmm. and it would become that's now the tune. <laughs> right, right. That's now how that goes. Okay, so um, there was a lot of that on the record too, and I think that helped everybody mm-hmm. just get way more into it, and we didn't have to do a bunch of takes and get burnt out and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the takes are like first or second take, and as we were chatting before we came on uh, live, that we decided to have have the record as much representation of how the band sounds live as possible. So we had um, all of us were live off the floor mm-hmm. for all of the tunes. Right. And um, there was one tune where uh, Cameron Wilson came in and put violin afterwards, but otherwise, majority of the songs are everyone playing together and you get that vitality, yeah. that freshness of... of um, and I know as a singer, for me, being in the room with the musicians, it feeling like a gig gives it that kind of vitality. And Mark Lesperance, the sound engineer who recorded us, mm-hmm. assisted by Andrew Smith at, mm-hmm. at Vancouver Live Sound, um, really, again, really understands my voice, understands the sound of the band. He's known me for many years. We're good friends. He's an excellent, excellent sound engineer. Oh, Mark, I've known him for a long time. Right. Too. He's, he's, he, one, of, he's yes. one of the best. He, he really, he understands 
the music. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it was great. As well as having technical ability and has worked with Andy for many, yeah. many years in other areas. So it's almost felt a bit family-ish, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we had our family moments, just let's say. There was a family dynamic. <laughs> there you go. Hey, this is a family show, right? Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. So we're going to hear a couple more tunes. Um, one of them is uh, That's My Desire. And uh, we're going to follow that with Green Rocky Road. Okay. So we'll begin with That's My Desire. To spend one night with you in our rendezvous to reminisce with you that's my desire to dance where gypsies play Down in that dim cafe That's my desire To sip a little glass of wine To gaze into your eyes divine To feel the thrill of your kiss while pressing your lips mm, real close to mine to hear you whisper low just when it's time to go darling I love you so that's my desire
Hallelujah. <laughs> I love the feel on that tune. That's great. Thanks. That's yeah. great. It's yeah. got that. That's we were just saying about how that exploration of folk. It's like a trad tune, traditional mm. tune. Yes. And um, we started playing it. And that's Andy playing ukulele. And he, he really came up with that groove that we kind of developed over the years. We recorded that song with the, on the Ruby and Smith album, a ukulele album. Mm-hmm. We actually went to the Winnipeg Folk Festival with that album and played there. Um, and that was more like a skeletal version of that tune. And we started playing it with Black Gardenia, and then it just developed this sound. Mm-hmm. So it's got that, that drive from the ukulele, and 
yeah, it just developed like Chris started doing the clap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One one day when yeah. we were playing, they're like, "Wow, I love the clapping." And then it gradually just all, all that layering when we when we do that song live, and the audience would just love it. Oh, and we'd love yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah. So we so we said, "Oh, it's got to go on the album because it's just yeah. got this." And it's still there's something about it that's so jazz as well mm -hmm. as folky. That's that. Yeah, I feel like live we um rarely, if ever played that song the same twice mm -mm. so that's definitely got a heavy jazz element in that song um depending on who would be, would be playing bass or if i would do the clap so if i would play the trumpet or sometimes i wouldn't even play trumpet on that at all or sometimes it'd be muted trumpet or it'd be some other instrument or something mm -hmm. so um yeah it was really that's really it really is a folk jazz yeah song yeah, yeah. oh it's beautiful it's great just like to remind the audience that uh, they are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca, and we're broadcasting live from the campus of the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. And this is a very special edition of The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and my guests this evening are two wonderful people who have created this uh, beautiful album called Lucky Star. I've been talking with uh, Daphne Robini, the vocalist on the album, and uh, or half the, half the soul of the album. And the other half is Chris Davis, and uh, trumpeter extraordinaire and uh, musical magician. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <No>. Okay. <laughs> I know. I like yeah. it. Not bad, huh? I think it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. 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 Well, I can't call you sorcerer. That 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 belonged to Miles Davis. Yeah, trust so. me. There's sometimes I wish my trumpet would just disappear. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the trumpet is a tough instrument. Yeah, or at least that I would disappear from the gig. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know the trumpet can be a. a a very demanding instrument, chop-wise and, and oh, yeah. stuff, as I'm sure you've experienced mm -hmm. over over time. Chris has worked with all kinds of different people. Of course, his latest, last uh, long-standing gig was with uh, uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, the, the late, great uh, Sharon Jones. Of course, you toured all over the world with her, right? Yeah. Yeah, wonderful, yeah. wonderful band. That's great. Yeah. I feel actually that playing in that band helped me um, and on this on this in this concept. Yeah. Uh, and in 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 playing in general, um, I think I kind of screw up a little bit, and uh, you can hear that I think on this record. Yes. Definitely from my um, I think the last record, or my last solo record. I'll say I won't say anybody else's record. My last solo record, which is a Christmas record. Um, yeah, this was good, was good trumpet playing, but this is something def different. This is definitely, definitely a different kind of Chris Davis right. mental <laughs> approach, and uh, I think it worked really well with what Daphne and Blackadinia have have going on. So mm -hmm. it fit in, fit in really well. And so you guys are a great pair, yeah. a musical pair, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So I there's so many people uh, involved on here. What um, once again? Uh, um, uh, we heard your yeah. husband. Oh, uh, we heard Andrew Smith. Andrew Smith on, on Andrew guitar. Andrew Smith on, on guitar. On, on that 
um, that's my desire. That's right. That, that was, was his wonderful. solo. Yes. And then it was also Stephen McLeaver playing rhythm guitar on that on mm -hmm. that track. And I've been very careful on the album. Each song, uh, each track, I've got written down who was playing which which because I always, when I'm listening to a CD, I always or album or record, however I'm listening to it, I always want to know who's playing, who's soloing. Mm -hmm. And it's not something I, information I can always find. I made sure that that's written here, so that when listeners Good. can can actually say, "Oh, okay, it was it was uh, Brent Gubbles playing bass here, or it was um, Michael Rush playing bass here, or Patrick Metzger." So they're the three bass players. Yes. And the three guitarists were Paul Pagat, um, yep. known for being cousin Harley. He's got a new record coming out soon as well, so mm -hmm. I've been looking forward to hearing his new album. And he's got that kind of Western swing influence. And Stephen Cleaver, he has, again, Western swing, but also he's a great jazz player, both yes, of them is. are. And, yeah. um, and then we also had uh, Connor Stewart come in and play tenor saxophone mm -hmm. on um, I'm Confessing, which is maybe a song that you may get to next. And it was wonderful to have him play. Mm -hmm. um, he was the only person actually that hadn't played with Black mm. Gardini before, but we actually both really thought, and Andy, well, three of us were like, oh, there has to be tenor saxophone on this yeah. song. And then Chris was suggesting Connor, and he <coughs> just did a beautiful job on it. Really. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah so, th so the players, I think I've mentioned all the players on the album, and yeah, I just love. I keep thinking, for me, it just keeps coming to me that. It's a bit like this album's a bit like the sea that, um, you know, it can always, every day it looks so different. And I felt that with the song, that the songs that each musician, however little they were playing, mm -hmm. which has completely influenced the song. And as a band leader, it was something that I've always encouraged and, and not, because as Chris was saying before, for me, that's what jazz is, to encourage the people contributing to the music to actually genuinely be themselves. True. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful philosophy. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's in practice on this album. Yes. Which is uh, wonderful. So we're going to hear two more tunes. And, uh, and then after we listen to the tunes, we're, you can tell us about the big gig coming up. Okay, thank uh, you. Because that's important. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want people to come out and hear you guys live yeah, that's right? right so we're going to hear uh, i'm confessing that i love you <laughs> and uh and we're going to follow that with uh, another tune called i'm just waiting for you to call or no i'm just waiting for your call that's i'm it. sorry I, it's okay yeah here we go that I love you tell me do you love me too I'm confessing that I need you honest I do I need you every moment in your eyes I read such strange things but your lips deny the truth. 
your answer really changed things, making me blue. Oh, I'm afraid someday you'll leave me, saying, can't we still be friends? If you go, you love me dreaming dreams of you in vain I'm confessing that I love you
just waiting for your call Remember, dear, the first time you left me I couldn't say a thing to make you stay Believe me, dear, I never talked Yes, the Rudy Van Gelder fade-out ending. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Yeah, some neat, uh, nice tenor saxophone work, too, on the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, which was, of course, I'm confessing that I love you in the second bluesy date. I'm just waiting for your call. Two more tracks from 
this uh, wonderful album called Lucky Star with uh, Daphne Rubini and Chris Davis, my guest this evening. Now, we have to tell, the uh, before we wrap things up, we have to tell people the big gig, mm-hmm. the big gig. The big gig is the Coastal Jazz presents Black Gardenia at uh, Frankie's, uh, Frankie's, it's not Frankie's Jazz Cellar. Anyway, Frankie's Jazz. Yeah, it's Jazz Club. It's Frankie's Jazz Club. Yeah, yeah. curated by Cory Weeds. Mm-hmm. And it's on October the 6th, and it's coming up pretty soon. Friday, mm-hmm. Yeah, Friday, October the 6th. And starts at 8, it's $15. We will have the CD, All Bright and Shiny and You, picked up from a pressing plant yeah. the day before, I think. <laughs> And um, and it's also Andrew Smith's birthday, so there will be cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, well, that's right. Andy's a Libra. He is. Yeah. He's a Libra. yeah. Okay. So you know, cake as well as a brand new album. Yeah. What's not to like? That's a good birthday present. Cake, <laughs> album, Italian food. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really delightful having having both of you on the show this evening, and uh, it was great to. Uh, hear you talk about the album thank you uh, both of you was uh, really really wonderful the album is called lucky star and it will be out um if you can't attend the show you'll uh is there any they'll be they'll be able to go to the website blackgardenia.ca okay and uh, it'll be ready for download from from actually from the website either download or can be ordering physical cds that we can send uh, from the website, mm-hmm. and then uh, a few weeks after that, probably once we get it to CD Baby, it'll be on iTunes, etc. Oh, okay. But please feel free to go to the website. We'd love to have like a personal send you a little note and send the CD to you. Oh, of course. And I I do like the idea that um, you talked about a little earlier too about having knowing all the people, uh, recognizing all the people that are soloing on the record. Yes. Um, this yep. is something. This is something that has been a big debate. Um, there's a lot of radio shows now, and I always insist on it when I'm uh, doing the show. Um, and you know, I suppose some people say, "Well, you know, what does it matter?" Well, it does. It does matter. It does matter, especially with with this uh, with jazz music. It's personal, and. Fine, if you're playing a big band record, I mean, you know, all right, you don't have to know the third trumpet right. player, and uh, you know, right. or, the, or the, right. the fourth trombone player, but at right. least the, the band soloist, leader and yeah. the soloist, yes. right? Absolutely. And and maybe members of the rhythm section because yeah. that can make make or break, uh, yes. uh, you know, a good. Yeah. And, and of course, with a small group, you want to know everybody because everybody, you know, is generally going to solo, right? right? But um, yeah. with so much digital radio out there, people are not getting the information. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, and I see stuff on YouTube with with all kinds of mistakes. Oh, in, yeah. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know it, yeah. right? Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. and and digital radio is like that yeah. because they'll say, "Well, this was Miles Davis playing so and so." Yeah. And there may be an incredible Coltrane solo on it, but you're not. It's mm-hmm. not mentioned, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the reason when I was uh, doing the. The liner notes and the album artwork that I made, I made absolutely sure because I'm always picking up the album, looking to say who's mm. soloing, who's, wow, who's that singer there? 
and sometimes they're not mentioned and especially in some of the like you say some of the big band records and uh, so for each track it's got who the rhythm section is who the soloists are in the order that they appear in the song so that the listener is really able to connect with Mm -hmm. that process of us recording it i will Mm -hmm. say um to piggyback that too um it's kind of i think it's a huge mistake to assume that the listener knows what's going on in that way so it's very important that uh that information be on there and be correct so i I like that decision and Mm -hmm. uh for the exact reasons that you mentioned a second ago with a lot of misinformation on the internet and uh the absence of uh credentials and um and even liner notes anymore you know so yeah yeah and i think for me that's why i never when i started singing just for me personally this is a personal thing that i didn't say daphne rubini that actually the band is black gardenia features me as the singer i'm the band leader i came up with that name and because for me the band members are the sound Mm -hmm. as much as i am yes right and that's why i've always had a band name even though it's my band, <laughs> if that band. makes sense. Or, you know, start with, started with Andy, definitely. Uh, but I feel like I, I drive the band, but I don't have it as a Daphne Rubini album. And I think because, uh, for me, just personally, and I know everyone does it differently, and I, I'm not saying anything against other singers that mm-hmm. have their own name, but for me, that's the reason that I've chosen to keep it as a band, because I love the mm-hmm. contribution that the members of the band make to the sound. Right. Well, I think we'll leave leave it at that. That's a very very good thought. Thank you so much, Thank both you of you, so Daphne Rubini, us. and Black Gardenia. Thank you. <laughs> and Chris Davis <laughs> and Black Gardenia. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much for uh, making it all the way out here this evening. Uh, thanks and, for uh, I've, I've certainly enjoyed myself yeah, uh, good being with Thank you guys and. Next time we'll bring beer. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. Take care. Oh, we're going to hear a couple more tunes from the album, um, but I'll let you know what they are after we hear them. So there you go. Time. A heart that 
We heard three tunes in that set. We began with the great Jimmy Heath on tenor saxophone playing his own composition called For Miners Only from a wonderful album done in 1975 called Picture of Heath with Jimmy on tenor saxophone, Barry Harris on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums, a Cadillac rhythm section. And we followed that with a rather unique version of a tune called Gloomy Sunday. Uh, and that tune, of course, is a, is a dirge. And it, it sort of started out that way and then moved to a whole different feel. Um, it was played by a big band led by the wonderful valve trombonist Bob Brookmeyer. And the band was full of all-star musicians. Uh, the solo um, performances on uh, Gloomy Sunday, actually the arrangement of that was by Eddie Sauter and um, the band led by Bob Brookmeyer. So we heard this unique version of Gloomy Sunday uh, with Wally Kane playing some bassoon, and then the uh, alto saxophone solo was by the great Phil Woods, and uh, an extremely unique version of Gloomy Sunday from an album uh, by the Bob Brookmeyer Orchestra called Gloomy Sunday and Other Bright Moments. That's the name of the album, and uh, it's a wonderful uh, recording of big band arrangements and great jazz tunes and so on. And the third piece of music we heard, a rather extended performance by the amazing Chico Hamilton Quintet with the great Mr. Hamilton on drums and leading the late Albert Stinson on bass, the late Gabor Zabo on guitar, George Bohanan on trombone, and, of course, someone who is still very much with us, Charles Lloyd on tenor saxophone. And he wrote that uh, uh, piece uh, called One Sheridan Square. And it's from a reprise album uh, by Chico and the band, uh, this iconic band, really. And uh, the album was called A Different Journey, Chico Hamilton on drums. Great drummer and, uh, of course, a great band leader as well. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 and on your computer, of course, www.citr.ca. And my name is Gavin Walker, and we'll be back with some more music, but we have a couple of important messages, including this one. weather <laughs> it's uh the weather it is changing just like the world right uh tonight is uh, cloudy with some fog patches and a 30 percent chance of a shower with a low of 13 tomorrow 
um, is going to begin with periods of drizzle, uh, which is going to end in the morning, and then a 30% chance of a shower off and on, and then clearing in the afternoon. That's for tomorrow, with a low of 13 and a high of 19. Then the next two days are sunny. Both days, Wednesday and Thursday, with lows of 12 and highs up to um, 20 or even 23. So uh, a couple of really nice days. And then Friday is clouding over once again with a 40% chance of a shower with a low of 14 and and, um, high of 19. And then Saturday is a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 11, high of 18. And Sunday, periods of rain with a low of 10 and a high of 16. So there you have the, uh, the weather picture for uh, the week. Delivered a bit late this evening, but uh, whatever. <laughs> you, we always figure out the weather sometime. Become a CITR member and make some new friends. Members get discounts in Kitsilano and around UBC at The Book Warehouse, Stormcrow Ale House, The Australian Boot Company, Fresh's Best Salsa and Company, Banyan Books and Sound, Tapestry Music Limited, Rufus Guitar Shop, Dentry's Irish Girl, The UBC Bookstore, On the French Hair Design, and The Bike Kitchen. What would we do without our friends? Listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenum speaking Musqueam people. Here's a wonderful piano player who uh, was always kind of underrated. He was uh, worked with Charlie Parker. Uh, he was Bird's fam- uh, main piano player during uh, the latter part of uh, Bird's life in the, uh, in the 50s, and of course went on to uh, uh, score with uh, a lot of people. And uh, he had some hardships in his life and uh, uh, absences and so on. But uh, this particular recording, which was done in uh, 1961, is, uh, is one of my favorites by Walter Bishop, Jr. And he's featured here with Jimmy Garrison on bass, of course, who was uh, um, about to join John Coltrane, and uh, Granville Hogan on drums, G.T. Hogan. And we're going to hear a couple of tunes um, by Walter Bishop. Uh, The first one is Miles Davis's great tune called Milestones. And the second tune is a tune written by Kurt Weill and Ogden Nash. And it's called Speak Low. Wonderful piano stylings of Walter Bishop, Jr.
Maybe. That last selection was the great Charles Mingus from, uh, it's an alternate take from his wonderful album, Tijuana Moods. And they, um, when they reissued this album on CD, they delivered a whole bunch of uh, alternate composite takes uh, of, the, of the tunes and uh, almost entirely different uh, versions, different solos, all that kind of stuff from the uh, ones that were originally released on the uh, original LP. Anyway, this one was called Dizzy Moods, and it featured Mingus, of course, on bass. He composed the tune. The wonderful Clarence Shaw on trumpet, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, Shafi Hadi on tenor saxophone, Bill Triglia on piano, and, of course, Danny Richmond on drums. Dizzy Moods, dedicated to, uh, of course, Dizzy Gillespie. And preceding that, we heard a funky organ thing with uh, the great late Big John Patton on Hammond organ with Grant Green on guitar, Hugh Walker on drums, and Pablo Landrum on conga drums. And we heard a composition by Big John called The Yodel. And that's from a, a Blue Note album called Got a Good Thing Gone. Big John Patton, wonderful organist. And we opened the set with uh, a tune from uh, the Berlin session featuring the Johnny Griffin Quintet with the great Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone leading the wonderful Swedish trumpeter Rolf Erickson, Fritz Power on piano, Lucas Lindholm on bass, and Ronnie Stevenson on drums. And we heard a great composition by Bud Powell called Oblivion from uh, an album called The Berlin Session. Recorded, obviously, in Berlin. There you go. We'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening. That's it for the jazz show this evening. And next week, we're going to be starting a whole series in, a, in the month of October of very obscure musicians on the jazz feature. And a lot of these leaders, even the most devoted jazz fans, have probably never heard of them. And, of course, um, there's going to be a whole series for the month of October. Very, very obscure, but very deserving jazz musicians. And the music is top-notch. This isn't sort of second-rate music or, or obscure musicians that can't play or anything like that. These are all people that are ridiculously good but um, are very sort of, as I said, obscure names that uh, even the most devoted jazz fans may not know. So that's going to be all the jazz features next month. So join us and... Uh, check out some of these incredible people that I'm going to be playing. Thank you very much for being out there this evening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, this is our last show for the month of September, and, uh, of course, we'll be back next month, October. And this has been 
The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. You take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Same time, same station. Bye-bye. Bye.